I acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast was recorded, and I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. This is Making a Difference, a podcast about people who are making change happen. On the show, you'll hear from people who are making a difference on a day-to-day basis, from the local level in their communities to change on a global scale. You'll learn what makes them tick and the values that are driving their actions. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. We know there are people out there who do incredibly important work, work that we rely on, work that is highly specialised, work that we don't notice. Today, I'll talk with Melissa Harris. Melissa's team process thousands of transactions daily. They are also at the cutting edge of technology around data use. Melissa is the Chief Executive of Land Use Victoria, and there's a good chance if you live in the state of Victoria that from time to time, this organisation affects you. Melissa Harris, CEO of Land Use Victoria. I'll start you with a slow ball. What's Land Use Victoria? What's an easy one. Thanks, Steve. Well, Land Use Victoria is the state's agency that's responsible for all of the key land and property services in Victoria. So it's been around in many different forms for a very long time, since at least the sort of mid-1800s. But Land Use Victoria in its current form was established in 2016. And look, it includes all of those vital land services that you hear about and are fundamental to so much of the land and property industry in Victoria. So things such as the state's land registry, which is the all-important register of all land and dealings in land in Victoria. And of course, that's a huge business in Victoria these days. We have about 850,000 land dealings in Victoria each year, and that supports about $120 billion worth of land transactions. So very significant part of the Victorian economy. Pretty sure I just heard you say 800,000 and did you say $25 billion worth of transactions? 850,000 transactions there are. So 850,000 times a year when land's bought, sold, or there's dealing in land. And yet the property market itself is worth about $120 billion. So it's a very significant activity in the Victorian economy. Can we stay there for a minute and then we'll do a little bit of a romp through all of those other things that you do. So my understanding then is, from what you've said, that Back in the 1800s, someone decided that if white people have settled Victoria, we need control over land and who owns land. So there's something like a titles office. Is that sort of how it works? Yeah, roughly. Look, there's all sorts of technical detail, which we won't go into, but... (laughs) Yeah, thanks. (laughs) Let's just say, since the original Crown Grants in the early 1800s, in fact, I had the privilege of being out at our archive not that long ago and saw one of the, probably the very first transfer of land that was issued in Victoria, which was in 1838. And of course, at the time, Victoria didn't exist then, so it was issued by the New South Wales government. And it was a document that was recorded on pigskin, if you can believe it. So that was obviously the material of choice at the time. But since then, the Torrens title system has been in use in Victoria. And that's basically the means by which all land information is recorded in a register and titles are produced as evidence of ownership and interests in land. So that, that's what we do and have been doing for a very long time. I hope, Mel, about the transition from those paper-based or hard copy titles to where you are now. But before we do that, 
I didn't realise until the last week that being CEO of Land Use Victoria, you also have the grand title of Register of Titles. What does that mean? Look, it basically means that I'm responsible along with my two deputy registrars and many assistant registrars for maintaining the register of all land in Victoria and all land titles and for recording key information about land, who owns the land, as well as any interests and encumbrances that apply, such as mortgages, covenants and caveats, and and for obviously producing land titles, which is an official record of who owns a piece of property and the interests and encumbrances that apply to that land. That's primarily what the Registrar of Titles does. And we also register plans of subdivision. And of course, plans of subdivision contain the dimensions of lots for all properties in Victoria. So also all land, as you probably know, Steve, is either freehold or crown, mostly. And freehold land is managed under the Torrens system. And that Torrens system has been introduced since the 1800s. And it's this concept of maintaining a register of land that provides conclusive evidence of ownership. And that's the key concept of title by registration. So believe it or not, this system was, I believe, started in South Australia, an early Australian innovation that has since gone on to be used in countries around the world. So it's, it's interesting. And we don't think about it. People from time to time find ways to have legal arguments about land and who owns land and the status of land. But at least what you and your office do provides some order and and function to all of that? Oh, look, absolutely. And it's one of those things I think we in Victoria and Australia take for granted in some respects. Our land administration system underpins our economy in really fundamental ways and without a doubt helps make Australia one of the most advanced economies in the world. And just as a point of contrast, it's incredible that half of the population on the planet in this year, 2021, still don't enjoy secure land rights. So the fact that we can so easily produce evidence, property ownership, property dimensions, and obviously the accompanying sort of suite of digital maps and services is something incredibly important and one of the big benefits of our services in that area. And you've segued beautifully because I remember the days when it was all hard copy and to get a copy of a title was an exercise that took a week or two. But now, can you describe the sort of digital transformation that has occurred in terms of people wanting to get access to title information and the sort of inquiries that you get? Yeah, and look, that's been an incredible transformation. Obviously, the register in the old days was in paper form, but progressively over time has been converted to a fully electronic register. So in 2013, National Electronic Conveyancing went live in Victoria, and in consultation with industry, that was mandated in 2018. The days of in-person settlements and exchanging of physical documents a long way in the past now, and all of our 850,000 transactions are mostly conducted electronically, so 97% of them are electronic. And what's actually significant about that is 90% of that 97% is fully automated, so no human intervention. So this is a highly technical, very sophisticated process that we have here in Victoria and is being adopted in other jurisdictions around Australia. Yeah, and amazingly quick and cheap. Oh, amazingly quick and cheap. Yeah, exactly right. It's been a very natural progression in some ways over a long period of time. 
but it's a capability that has served the Victorian community incredibly well over the disruptions of last year, which, which continue. So the ease with which we've been able to pivot to remote working and provide business continuity through these incredibly disrupted times has been nothing short of pretty spectacular. It's a very impressive capability that we'll be building on into the future. Now, moving on from that, if you've got property, it needs to be valued by someone for a whole lot of reasons that we don't necessarily like, rates and land tax and things like that. What does your office do in relation to um, property valuations? Yeah, so another one of our critical services that's part of Land Use Victoria is Valuer General Victoria. So the Valuer General Victoria is Robert Marsh. So they provide incredibly important services in uh, one of two categories. They value every single rateable property in Victoria every single year on behalf of councils. And of course, that valuation information is used as the basis to collect council rates and obviously by the State Revenue Office for land tax purposes and the fire services levy. What that looks like is about 3.3 million valuations and with a combined value in uh, the 2021 valuation of about 2.5 trillion, if you can believe it. So, um, so this is a reasonably new service that we provide. We've been certifying valuations for a very long time, but since 2017, valuations are now conducted by the state and they're conducted annually instead of every sec- two years, which was previously the case, just to make sure that the valuations keep pace with the property market and, and values as they um, go up and down. That's the the first thing. And the second thing, the second service that the VGV provides is valuations for government land. And that's also an incredibly important service, particularly in the context of the government's infrastructure program, because that provides valuations to support the buying and selling of government land and the buying and selling of freehold land by government to support projects. So again, incredibly important and very substantial services to help government decision-making. And again, though, there's been this incredible sort of shift in technology from, I'm showing my age, but I can remember when councils did valuations every four years and every property had a little card and the valuer would write on the card. What's the technology look like? There's um, one system now in place for almost all. I think there's a few councils that are still outliers, but a small number as in three or four. But there's basically a single system that's provided by the state for all councils to access their evaluation information. There's incredible efficiencies around that for obvious reasons. And I think what that also gives us is access to really substantial, very highly accurate data at the state level. I think it gives us incredibly enhanced capability to support the valuation process in Victoria but also in terms of analytics and research and other sort of ancillary services. So the technology is a far cry from the old days. And look, moving into the future, there's been a lot of talk about automated valuations where you get the machines to, based on criteria to sort of estimate valuations. And you can see sort of early versions of that when you go online to realestate.com or any of the websites. But of course, from the valuer's perspective, there's no sort of substitute for the level of rigour and analysis that goes into preparing evaluation by the VGV. But who knows where the technology will go long term. So we're keeping an eye on that. In the meantime, the focus really is on having authority of statewide data and highly accurate and every year. And that's where we've gotten to in the past three years, which has really been a huge achievement. 
Absolutely. And it's an interesting service, isn't it, that it's not front of mind, but no one likes paying rates and we all get our rate notice and have a look at the valuation and go, oh, yeah, it's probably about right. But multiplied by three and a half million assessments. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Something like that anyway. Yeah, that's right. That's the important thing about valuations, that they're a fair market assessment of the value of land and its Im- improvements. And it, it, there's a whole range of processes that go into setting a valuation. So property inspections, sale history, planning and building records and controls. So it, it is a very considered assessment of, of land value. And that's why it's so important because of all of the potential distortions that can happen in terms of market fluctuations and sales activity. I think you can be incredibly confident these days if you get a VGV valuation that it's it's very considered assessment. Just one little diversion of something that your team does that I'd forgotten about. Tell me about how important it is to have a state system for naming of geographic features and places and so on. Yeah, so this is part of the Surveyor General Victoria's office that is also in Land Use Victoria. So the Surveyor General provides basically a whole range of surveying services for government and they set and monitor standards for surveying, but they also include Geographic Names Victoria and they provide the rules for place naming. So they don't necessarily oversee the naming of every you know, street and park. That's the yeah. That's councils the tend to do that. That's the naming authorities. Yeah, but they set the overarching framework for how places are named, and of course, that's very topical at times. In fact, a lot of we get a lot of media inquiries about that, and at the moment, uh, it's quite topical because we're going through one of our five yearly statutory reviews of the rules for place naming. And we are trying to promote more gender equity in place naming. So recognition of prominent women in the naming of Victorian places and also more preservation of Indigenous language. So naming of places after culturally significant people or activities. They're really important. So we've just been out to community consultation on both on the new the review of the rules and the increased prominence of those two types of themes. And they've both been very well received. Indigenous place naming in particular is something that has been a focus since the United Nations Year of Indigenous Languages a couple of years ago. And uh, we've made great strides in that area, I'm pleased to say. Yeah, and for a lot of organisations like councils, that's absolutely consistent with their reconciliation action plans and what they would be seeking to do with inclusion as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Moving on then, if you've got place names and you've got all this information about properties, it's got to be stored somewhere. Can you tell us about the growth and development of kind of, what do we call it, Mel? Geographic information systems? So, look, this is a fascinating area of Land Use Victoria. We manage the Victorian Foundation Spatial Data Sets and there is basically an area of government in most jurisdictions in Australia and most advanced countries in the world that manage all of the critical data sets that are related to land and property in place. So what might an example of a data set be? So it could be the state's cadaster, the official map base of the state, which is the representation of property boundaries. So every time you're on a map trying to find a property, 
you're looking at a version of the cadaster in some way, shape or form. The property data set is one. Aerial imagery is another. Addressing, so the official data set of addresses in Victoria is another. And, and so on and so forth. Height and elevation, positioning and transport, vegetation, hydrology. And I'm, I'm sure there's a couple I've missed, but you have you get the gist. These are data sets that we've been curating in partnership with other areas of government and local government for decades and they are incredibly important to so many things that take place in Victoria every single day. So every time you're looking at a planning control or you're looking at a map of something in Victoria, it's odds on that, that somewhere in there is our spatial foundation data. So you're the sort so, of source of truth of all of that kind of land-based information? That's an excellent way of putting it. Yes, absolutely. And of course, so look, as I say, we've been managing these data sets for years, but increasingly through sort of rapid developments in new technology, they there is huge potential for those data sets to evolve to support 3D formats and 4D to historical views of that data. And as such, they are considered to be critical inputs into the whole sort of smart cities, digital twins type capability. So I think we're going to see with artificial intelligence and a lot of emerging technology that the foundation data sets will be the enabling components for a lot of innovation and automation of key activities over over the coming future. Yeah, so we're doing a lot of interesting uh, work in that space. Like 2020 was a, a fascinating experience. If you think about how many times there was discussion around where a border is or where the border zone was for various types of COVID-related activities, or even down in, in Melbourne, your five-kilometre radius tracker or where the cases were or where your local testing station was, all of that stuff relies on geospatial information and mapping. To, to some extent, we saw a huge increase in demand for our foundational data sets throughout the COVID response. So they were up something like 20%. So it really under, sort of underscores how incredibly important these data sets always have been and probably always will be, but increasingly into the future as they start to support more and more innovation. So that 5K map we stuck on our fridge probably came from your data set. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) And isn't that interesting too? It's what you're describing is a shift away from the use of land data for land purposes to land data for sort of social purposes or planning development of technology. Look, land data provides a specific suite of services to do with title searching and instrument searching and a planning certificate and property certificate. So they provide specific products. The foundation data sets, though, by contrast, are distributed mostly through open data channels and they're relied on pretty extensively by councils and all areas of government and industry to provide a whole range of place-based services. But look, land data is another, I really, since you've brought it up, it's another really incredibly interesting area of more the registry side of our business. So land data is the main method by which property and title information is provided to public and the industry, but that, that information is also provided through a network of information brokers. So yeah, again, it's about 3.5 million those activities are provided a year. We do about 65,000 title searches a week. So we really are, obviously we're a land administration organisation, but we provide huge high volume data services in a whole range of different ways. There's a lot of transactions. Mel, most people thinking of 
public sector employees would think of public servants as people who are really grounded in kind of public policy and weighing up policy options and so on, almost social policy, if you like. And I'm sure that's in in your workforce, but you've described a highly technically skilled workforce. What's your sort of description of the people who work at Land Use Victoria? I think one of the things I was really struck by when I joined the organisation about three years ago now was really its culture. And it's a very engaged and aligned workforce People that work at Landis Victoria are very passionate about what they do. They frequently stay for a very long time because there's a high degree of specialisation in the work that they do. And people are very purposeful about their work because of the importance of it for all of the things we've discussed previously. So there's a lot of sense of custodianship, of getting it right, of really preserving the incredible legacy of the land administration services in Victoria and increasingly and very carefully guiding their future evolution in terms of new products and services. It's just, it's a very special culture. We are providing services in a lot of large areas of our organisation, but very specialist work and a huge potential for people who are interested in high-tech data and services and innovation because of some of the spatial services in particular. And that's not going to go away. Where do you see the growth and movement in the next five to ten years? Oh, look, being a French, freshly minted chief executive, <laughs> we, ne- we need to spend some time thinking about that because future-proofing our services, having the right skill sets we need for the future and having a clear vision of what we think the most likely version of our future is, is going to be incredibly important because we're, we're operating these high-volume critical data sets. We've got a very complex stakeholder environment. So navigating all of that towards into the future is going to be incredibly important. I think from where I sit, I see more and more, because of our underpinning digital capability and expertise in providing data services, I see huge potential for more and more automation and value-added services. So we've just already discussed the way that electronic conveyancing services have been digitised and automated in Victoria. Increasingly, I think the subdivision approval process will go the same way. And through uh, the digitisation of the cadaster, the investment in that we're hoping to make in some of the foundation data sets, these will be inputs into very significant capability. So an example of that, if you have a look on the Land.Vic website, is the eComply pilot that our digital twin team have just completed. So this is using algorithms and the cadaster and 3D building formats to basically un- undertake 60 regulatory checks of a new dwelling against the small lot housing code using a digital method and it does 60 checks which take seven to ten weeks now does them in seconds so you can see the kind of potential that a lot of the services have and there we are looking seriously at how we invest in that capability to bring those sorts of ever-increasing levels of efficiency and effectiveness to government service delivery. So more automation, rapid real-time service delivery, I think more data aggregation and bundled services. I can, in the 3D world, for example, you could imagine the cadaster. So the map of property ownership in Victoria is increasingly going 3D as we're becoming 
a more densely populated place. In the world where the cadaster takes a 3D form, which is very likely to be the case over the next decade or so, you can really see that a lot of the sort of services, title search services that you're familiar with will start to expand, take on a 3D form and be increasingly more sophisticated. Look, I think there's potentially new revenue streams reducing the cost of business for government and that the e-comply example is what is one example there. And I think fundamentally having better access to digital data and tools is really going to help sort of support Victoria achieving its livability and sustainability goals and because it will mean that we've got the sort of evidence-based tools at our fingertips to make the best possible decisions about our future. So I think that side of things is really exciting. The access to that fact and data, the fact that you can do it more quickly and presumably that's a good thing for business. The fact yeah, that... good thing for business, good thing for government, good thing for the community. So yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, Melissa Harris, fabulous to talk this morning. I've learned heaps and yeah, thanks so much for coming on the show. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Civic Mind, specialists in governance and ethics for local and state government agencies. To find out more, head to the website civicmind.com.au. And so you don't miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to Making a Difference in your favourite podcast app. And if you like the episode, please leave me a five-star review. It really helps other people to find the show. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and I'll speak to you next time.